Welcome to 501c3BS. Today we are rebroadcasting our G3X workshop on AB5. Although AB5 is particular to California, it is a bellwether for other states. AB5 is a new California law that restricts the way organizations can hire contractors to do work that should normally be done by staff. It has far-reaching implications for the social sector, gig workers, and many other industries. It is changing the way work is done in California. This program started as a lunch between Sarah F. Thimau of the Public Law Center of Orange County and I. I belong to a web board e-village of LA-based nonprofits. Someone posted a question on AB5, and within 24 hours, that question broke the chat. There were so many responses and conversations going around this one question that they had to move it to its own web board. That's when I knew that this issue needed addressing. And that's where Sarah comes in. The Public Law Center was quick to wade in and help organizations as they do on so many issues. I would like to thank the Orange County Community Foundation and Todd Hansen, who made this possible initially by getting a space large enough to host the seminar. Then it changed with COVID and we did not need the space after all. But without Todd's help and support, this seminar could not have been possible. Sarah introduced us to Michael Olson, the attorney specializing in AB5 issues for the Public Law Center. Michael will take it from here. Welcome to 501c3BS. I'm your host, Zoo Velasco, director of the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at Cal State Fullerton's Mihalo School of Business and Economics. Join me today as we debunk the myths of the social sector. We will cut down the weeds and clear your path for organizational growth. Uh, so I'm going to be presenting uh, on AB5 uh, to you today. As uh, Sarah mentioned, I, I'm an associate attorney uh, in the employment practice at Manat Phelps and Phillips at Orange County office. Um, and I'm happy to be presenting to you today. Um, so uh what I'm going to be covering is sort of the background, uh, how we got to where we are with AB5 um, and what AB5 provides. AB5 uh, came about because of increasing government scrutiny for uh, contractor relationships, um, uh, generally speaking. Uh, between 2005 and 2015, uh, this was cited by the legislator in adopting uh, AB5, uh, there was a 30% increase in workers classified as independent contractors uh, in the in the state of California. Um, and this is in large part, sorry, this is in large part due to uh, the gig economy. Um, but of course, these the the changes that were made in this law affect uh, every employer. So the original or the, the sort of uh, base test for uh, who is an employee was established in 1989 uh, under the uh, under uh, this case called S.G. Borello and Sons. Uh, the the test at base was a control test. So uh, there was no definition of employee in many labor laws in the country. Uh, so until this case, if an employer uh, controlled the manner and means of work, uh, then that person was considered an employee. Um, so until this case, uh, there wasn't really any further clarification on how to determine someone was an employee or not. And this case set forth some additional factors in addition to control that needed to be considered. Uh, so first, whether the person performing services is engaged in occupation or business, distinct from the principal, 
whether or not the work is a, is a part of the regular business of the principal or alleged employer, whether the principal or the worker supplies the instrumentalities, tools, uh, and the place for the person doing the work, the alleged employee's investment in equipment or materials, that is, are they supplying their own materials, whether the service rendered requires a special skill, and uh, the kind of occupation uh, with reference to whether in the particular locality, the work is done under the direction of someone else or a specialist without supervision, the employee's opportunity for profit or loss, the length of time for which the services are to be performed, the degree of permanence of the working relationship, the method of payment, whether by time or by the job, that is whether they're being paid uh, hourly or they're being paid uh, per finishing a particular job, uh, and then whether or not the parties actually believe they're creating an employer-employee relationship. So as you can see, these are there are a variety of factors and, and uh, the court set forth that needed to be looked at. Um, these factors continue to apply. Uh, so you'll see uh, when we talk about AB5, uh, Borello will come into play still um, if the ABC test isn't, isn't applied. And uh, I'll get to that in a moment. So uh, in April of 2018, the California Supreme Court came down with this decision in Dynamics uh, in which it abandoned this test that had been in place since 1989. It abandoned the Umbrella test for the ABC test. And it said that this new test, the ABC test, would apply to um, any alleged violations of the uh, Industrial Welfare Commission wage orders. So the IWC uh, is uh, promulgated these regulations. Uh, they are quasi-legislative. Um, they govern wages, hours, and working conditions. There are 18 of them, uh, and they are organized by industry and occupation. There's also a general minimum wage order and an order dealing with overtime. Um, so the dynamics test applies to violations of those, uh, not to any other violations of the labor code. So this is the test that the Supreme Court, the California Supreme Court set forth and what is codified by AB5. So workers are presumed to be employees unless A, the worker is free from control and direction in connection with the performance of the service, B, the service is performed outside the usual course of business of the employer, and C, the worker is customarily engaged in the independently established trade, occupation, profession, or business of the same nature as the service performed. Now, many workers uh, can comply with A and C, uh, but B is problematic. Uh, so if the worker is, is doing the kind of thing that is similar to what it is that your organization or company does, uh, then that person is going to be considered an employee under the ABC test. So some examples that were given by the Supreme Court uh, of the ABC test and, and how it applies if a retail store hires a plumber to repair a leak, they would be an independent contractor uh, because the store is not in the business of plumbing. In comparison, if, some, if a clothing manufacturer were to hire a seamstress to work from home, uh, they would not qualify, uh, they, they, they would uh, not, not satisfy the uh, 
uh, be pronged because that's within the course uh, uh, what the employer or the company does. Uh, same thing with if a bakery a bakery were to hire uh, a cake decorator. Again, that's within the within uh, the usual course of business of the bakery, and therefore that person is not going to qualify as a contractor because of prong B of this test. In short. Prong B means that in order to be a contractor in California, you must be performing services that are ancillary to the primary thing that the business uh, does. And this is why we see a lot of, we saw a lot of uproar in response to um, this test. Uh, for example, with the gig economy and you have, uh, you have drivers working for Lyft or Uber, for example, Again, those people are performing what the business does. Um, I mean, of, of course, Uber and Lyft would dispute that, but uh, that is an example of why this is a problematic test. So uh, there are some interesting questions that arise from uh, the Dynamex uh, case, and which it first is whether this test applies retroactively. Um, that means, does it apply to employment, putative employment relationships that arose prior to April of 2018. Um, we don't really have an answer to that uh, just yet from the, uh, we don't have an answer to that yet, uh, just yet. Uh, the, the issue has been sent to the Supreme Court. Uh, but the question is whether that really matters in light of AB5. So AB5, uh, what it does is it codifies the ABC test that was articulated in Dynamics, and it expands that uh, expands that test. So it now defines the term employee throughout the labor code, not just uh, the wage orders. Again, the wage orders are those quasi-legislative uh, regulations that cover certain certain uh, conditions related to work, such as minimum wages and overtime. Uh, but now it applies to uh, additional things like workers' compensation, unemployment insurance, paid sick leave, and paid family leave. Um, so these are all things that would now apply to someone if they qualify as an employee as a result of the as a result of AB five. Uh, AB five did not change the definition of employee uh, for other provisions of the of the. Uh, of California law, so Fair Employment and Housing Act, and a statute outside of the Labor Code, the California Family Rights Act. Uh, these things have their own test for who is considered an employee, and this test does not uh, necessarily uh, impact those uh, those laws. AB five is codified in the Labor Code as Section twenty seven fifty point three, and the ABC test is. Uh, in subdivision A1. And as you'll see, it's, it's exactly the same as was set forth by the Supreme Court in Dynamics. Uh, so the individual must be free from control and direction of the hiring entity, and the work must be outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business, and C, the individual regularly and customarily engages in that trade, occupation, or business. So uh, AB5 explicitly provides that it is uh, retroactive as to the IWC wage orders and to violations of the labor code relating to wage orders. Um, and it also applies retroactively to some exceptions. So the legislator has set forth some exceptions uh, which, which allow the Borello test to still apply. Um, 
and I'll go over those in a moment. So effective as of January, the unemployment insurance, it applied to the unemployment insurance code and other provisions of labor code and effective in July, uh, this test will now apply to workers' compensation as well. So if the legislator has created an exception and you satisfy that exception, you now have to use the Borello test to determine if, if an individual is an independent contractor or an employee. So this this doesn't so if you are able to satisfy an exception, it does not mean that that person is an employee. It just means that you get to use the Borello test. That is that eleven factors that are sort of wishy-washy. You can you can sort of balance them and 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 argue that you satisfy those criteria. Um, uh, you you are not automatically an employee just because you meet one of the exceptions that the legislator set forth. Uh, many groups had lobbied to include their specific uh, businesses or workers as accepted from the AB5 test. Uh, and of course, not not all of them, oops, went too fast. Uh, not all of them uh, got into the statute. Um, so this is an example. It's sort of a hodgepodge of various different workers. Uh, so you have licensed insurance agents, brokers, and analysts, uh, certain licensed healthcare professionals. So the statute specifies what which professionals, like physicians and veterinarians, um, and it specifically states that those individuals uh, uh, are not included within the exception if they are subject to or potentially subject to a collective bargaining agreement. And the legislator's concern here with that exception and with all of the uh, exceptions it created is that it did not want any organization or entity to be reclassifying any workers as independent contractors by uh, as a result of this legislation. So so these, the idea is to save certain independent contractor relationships with these exceptions, not to create or allow the creation of more contractor relationships with these exceptions. Um, so securities brokers, dealers, direct salespersons, uh, and other licensed professionals by the state. And aside from the very specific uh, industry-focused exceptions that I've just gone over, AB5 gives a couple of uh, exemptions or exceptions for groups of folks. So one of them is professional services. So subdivision C discusses professional services. Contracts for professional services will be governed by Borello if certain criteria are met. And you must meet all of the criteria, not just uh, some of them. And I'll go over those in a moment. Um, the specific professional services that were included by the legislator are uh, marketing, administration of human resources. Um, and the legislator has also said that for these particular groups, marketing and human resources professionals, that the type of work that is contracted for must be varied and intellectual. Um, that is, they can't be performing something that is standard or they're just following policies. Um, because that would not be the kind of thing that the legislator wanted to accept. Um, other types of professional services include travel agent services, graphic design, grant writers, fine artists, payment processing agents through an independent sales organization. And for, for some of these, the legislator didn't tell us what they meant by that term. So for example, the legislator didn't tell us what they meant when they said a fine artist 
uh, would be accepted as a professional service provider. Uh, so I have, I've had, uh, you know, uh, uh, discussions regarding what that means with a lot of folks, and it's it's not clear. Uh, it could mean just, uh, for example, a visual artist like a painter, or it or it could be read more broadly to include, for example, a performance uh, a performance artist. Um, but again, the legislator didn't tell us, so it just left inter to interpretation, unless and until the legislator acts to clarify uh, what these exceptions meant. In order to set it to uh, qualify for the professional services exception, you have to satisfy some specific criteria. The individual has to have their own place of business separate from the hiring entity. And the legislator has said that that can include the individual's home, uh, their, their home address that can serve as their own place of business. They can still choose to work out of whatever uh, location that the organization has, um, but they have to have a separate address. Uh, a separate place or address as well. Uh, second, the individual has any license or permit that they need to perform work. So if they need a license to, to conduct business, if you've contracted with them for a period that lasts longer than six months, then it, you will want to uh, make sure that that person has the necessary license or permit that they need. Um, otherwise, that's going to undermine the exception for you as the hiring entity even though that's not really in your control. And I'll talk a little bit more about what you can do to mitigate that risk uh, in a moment. Uh, third, the individual has to be able to negotiate their own rates so they can't be performing work uh, according to like a schedule of rates that you have preset uh, that would undermine this exception. Uh, fourth, the individual must be able to set their own hours. This doesn't mean that you can't set reasonable business hours. In fact, the legislator said that you can. You can require that person a person perform work within uh, certain hours. The, the, they are not sending you. They're not working only at midnight. And you're not available, for example, um, or your customers or or whoever it may be are not available. Um, Fifth, uh, the individual is customarily engaged in the type of work performed under the contract and holds it out to other clients as available to perform that work. So the uh, so that's the professional services exception. Um, and now the business-to-business -business service provider exception is subdivision E of the statute. And again, it provides us a, a set of uh, criteria that have to be satisfied. Um, so if you are contracting with another business, that other business, uh, it could be a sole proprietor, uh, but or it could be a, a, another form of business. Um, they're going to have to satisfy all of these things in order to to qualify as a business service provider. Uh, so first, they are free from the control and direction of the per, the the business that's hiring them. Uh, second, they provide services directly to the contracting business. Uh, that means you, they're performing their work for you as opposed to whatever customers that you are contracting with. Third, uh, maintains a separate business location. Uh, the legislator did not say that, uh, for example, a sole proprietor could use their uh, residence as their separate business location for this exception. Uh, so it's not clear whether they left that out uh, intentionally or not. Um, uh, or whether it's permissible. Uh, fourth, uh, customarily engage in independently established business of the same nature as the work performed. Again, negotiates their own rates. Uh, the contract is in writing. Uh, they have to actually contract with other businesses and maintain their own clientele. They have to advertise. 
They have to provide their own tools and equipment, and they have to set their own hours and location of work. Now, again, as with the professional services exception, uh, these elements are problematic uh, because it's difficult um, for a business to know if someone meets all of these and will continue to, to uh, maintain or, or continue to uh, meet those over time. One possibility for organizations or companies to comply uh, with these with this is to, when they do their contract to include representations and warranties that the individual or the business satisfies these criteria and will continue to do so. And that if, if any of those representations turn out it to be inaccurate, that they will agree to indemnify the organization uh, for, for that, that inaccurate representation and warranty. Um, another problem with these criteria is that they are too narrow. Uh, so for example, you may think that uh, contracting with a business that provides IT services, that that would be a legitimate business-to-business -business relationship. Um, however, factor number nine, providing their own tools and equipment, oftentimes these types of contractors, they're working with the equipment that you have, the tools that you have. Um, and so it, it, it is not clear that they would be able to satisfy all of those uh, criteria here. Um, and uh, I, I think I already mentioned that the, the maintained a separate business location, it's difficult. Uh, it, it, the statute doesn't specify whether this could be a uh, could be the an individual's home. Now, with this exception, I would just caution that uh, it's a bit. It, the statute says that individual workers cannot qualify for the business to business service provider. This seems to be, be a bit of a contradiction because they allow sole proprietors to qualify as businesses. Uh, so, uh, if you are contracting with a business that is a sole proprietor. Uh, you just need to be clear that you're contracting with the business as opposed to the individual. Um, it may be a very fine distinction given the nature of a sole proprietor, um, but it, it, since the statute excludes individual workers from this exception, um, that is just something that you need to be you need to be mindful of if you're uh, availing yourself of this exception. And uh, then the next exception that the statute uh, addresses is a referral agency exception. Um, so the ABC test will not apply if you are uh, have a relationship between a referral agency and a service provider. So the statute defines referral agency as a business that connects clients with service providers. And then it sets forth specific types of services uh, that can be referred in this type of contract relationship. So graphic design, um, a tutor, if they, uh, the statute says, for a tutor if they, they must create their own curriculum so they're not just following the curriculum being provided to them by organization, for example. Um, event planning, home repair, yard cleanup, moving, furniture assembly, um, and animal services. And then again, the, the very similar factors as we saw with the business service provider exception um, that must all be met in order for you to qualify for this exception. As I said, there's a there's just a a, a great uh, a hodgepodge of exceptions here. So, um, just given the audience, I I I haven't gone through every single exception that is in the statute. Um, I've sort of just listed some of the others here um, so that folks are aware. 
that these exceptions exist and and uh, at the end I'll provide my contact information as well if any of these apply um, I'd be happy to talk in more detail with you about them as you'll see commercial fishermen newspapers cosmetology um, there's a freelance journalism and photojournalism exception uh, which includes a, a cap on content submissions so you can only have 35 content submissions to still qualify as a contractor, um, construction sub contractors, and then uh, contracts between motor clubs and, and certain professional services uh, organizations. The legislator also set forth um, it, it, what it, the court recognized exception, which is essentially that if you, if you uh, are unable to satisfy an exception and a court determines that uh, that that the ABC test should not apply to you, uh, then you have the the court could could say that okay the Borello test just applies. Um, so because because of the nature of your business or whatever it is, um, whatever factors the court may consider, uh, the court it would be permitted to accept you from AB five from the ABC test. Uh, but again, this would require litigation, uh, which I, I assume that most uh, many organizations, nonprofits, are, are not going to be in a position to engage in litigation um, uh, in order to take advantage of this exception. But it is in the statute. Um, there is a recognition that 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 there may be circumstances that that the legislator uh, didn't account for, um, but they would have to be created through litigation. So, uh, and I just included uh, some of the, so Lorena Gonzalez was the author, um, the main author of AB5, and immediately after the legislation was enacted, there was a, a big backlash. Um, and then Lorena Gonzalez responded to this by saying, uh, very interestingly, she says, I know that this law, like all laws, is imperfect. I obviously do not want to ruin any, anyone's current situation. We will continue to to meet uh, with folks and monitor implementation in the beginning of this year. Uh, there will be a part two of this bill. Um, so Gonzalez has introduced some some uh, uh, legislation saying that they're basically just says they intend to do further work on this statute. Uh, we haven't seen, I, I have not seen anything come forward uh, which, which delineates any further additional specific exceptions for specific groups. I know that there's been talk of various exceptions, which I'll talk about a couple of those, um, but there are further, uh, further fixes coming uh, this year. Um, I'll just mention briefly, uh, I know that so there's an exception for the music industry, so certain certain groups that do audio recordings, um, uh, audio books, for example, that this is one one thing that is being considered um, as an exception. Uh, I just wanted to point out that if you are in any sort of organization where you are doing work for a hire, um, that language, work for hire language, that is that is uh, under the co the Federal Copyright Act, uh, that creates a presumption under under the Labor Code that someone is an employee uh, for purposes of workers' compensation and unemployment insurance. Uh, so that language is already problematic. And so, if you're in any sort of position where you are uh, you're creating content of any sort. Um, you may want to consider alternative 
intellectual property arrangements like licensing agreements or uh, licensing agreements or other sorts of assignment of rights, that sort of thing. So we're expecting that the legislator will also address franchise relationships. Um, we're expecting some further clarification on the business to business service provider exception. And uh, there may be further, uh, there's a lot of work, spate work in the film industry and the movie industry for writers, producers, that sort of thing. Um, again, it's unclear whether future fixes will be retroactive. So if, if they're, so for example, if an exception comes down the pipe for nonprofits, uh, it's not clear whether that, that uh, exception will be made uh, retroactive to the date uh, uh, to the data of Dynamex when, when the law changed in 2018 or whether it's only going to apply prospectively to, from the date that the, that the, that the exception is created. So from 2020 forward, if, uh, so if you are, uh, trying to determine whether someone should remain a contractor, any analysis that you do, we recommend that you do with counsel, um, uh, just because, uh, that analysis, if it's not privileged and someone decides to challenge your contractor classification, uh, is going to be, that analysis is going to be open to discovery if, if you, uh, do get sued over the use of contractors. Um, so you'll want to, you'll want to see if your contractors meet the ABC test and if not, whether you can meet one of the exceptions that I've discussed. And if you do, you need to still make sure that you meet the Borella test. Uh, what a lot of folks don't know is that uh, uh, there's a lot of organizations that did not meet the Borella test. Um, that's those 11 factors plus control that I discussed earlier. Um, so even if you meet an exception, you still have to meet the Borella test and uh, you need to meet as many criteria as you can, as meaningfully as you can, in order to ensure that those folks are, are properly classified as, as contractors. Um, so if you do decide to, uh, and you're able to convert people to employees, I know that a lot of smaller organizations uh, may find it impossible to, to convert people to employees, um, but these are because of the cost, but I wanted to go over some of those with you. Uh, so things that you'll need to consider are rates of pay, what, what kind of benefits if you have to provide benefits. Uh, so Smaller organizations, even nonprofits, for example, um, are covered by the the um, the new coronavirus, the federal coronavirus uh, legislation. So nonprofits smaller than 499 employees, they are required to provide folks with with uh, the two weeks of, with two weeks of paid sick leave, specifically related to COVID-19 under the Families First Coronavirus Act. Um, so that's an example of a type of benefit that you wouldn't have to provide to someone who is a contractor that you need to you need to consider if they were an employee. Uh, workers' compensation insurance, um, uh, coverage for employment practices liability if you choose to have that, other overhead costs, and then um, you would have to balance this with the uh, cost of not complying. Um, uh, as well as well as well as the the fact that when you convert someone to an employee, uh, there may be questions about retroactive liability that you'll need to consider whether you want to pay them some certain amount uh, to to make up for the fact that they were they were potentially misclassified before, um, and you'll need to consider what those what the cost of that would be uh, in order to, to to make up for that in some way. 
So here are just some of the, the penalties of not converting. Um, so a worker who is misclassified can bring an action to recover unpaid wages for up to four years following the end of their employment. Uh, some of the things that workers can recover for are unpaid and underpaid wages. So this includes overtime, double time. Uh, so in California, in terms of just overtime payment, people are entitled to pay over uh, to overtime pay over eight hours in a day and uh, double time pay over 12 hours uh, in a day and, and over overtime over 40 in a week as well. Um, Miss meal and rest periods, there's an obligation to provide meal and rest periods. Uh, and there's an hour of, of pay for a missed meal, an hour of pay for a missed rest period that uh, an, employee, an employee could be entitled to. Uh, wage statement violations, uh, there's a specific penalty for failing to provide a wage statement to someone. Uh, and it's a per wage statement violation. Uh, so depending on if you issue wage, if you issue paychecks two times a month or once a month, uh, the penalties can stack up quickly for failing to issue statements or do so appropriately. Um, workers can also recover for unreimbursed business expenses. Uh, so if they're driving to and from events for you um, and they should be classified as an employee, um, you're going to be liable for the uh, for the cost of reimbursing uh, mileage uh, to them. Uh, you may be liable for other things uh, uh, for uh, business expenses like the use of a personal cell phone. Um, you, you, the, the California courts have held employees are entitled to a reasonable percentage of the cost of the use of a personal cell phone or data plan, for example, uh, if they're using it for work, purpose, work purposes. So if they're found to be an employee, that's going to come into play as well. So here are some of the penalties uh, for will, willful misclassification. Uh, it is from $5,000 to $15,000 per employee. Uh, if there's a pattern or practice of willful misclassification, it's ten dollars to $25,000 per employee. Uh, there is also the Private Attorneys General Act, which provides additional penalties, and these are per, per pay period, uh, per pay period violations uh, that, that stack up quickly as well. Um, there are additional tax penalties that are provided by the IRS and, and California law for failure to withhold and pay payroll taxes. Uh, in addition to certain criminal penalties, uh, such as uh, uh, being uh, in uh, prison for up to one year uh, in California for failure to do so. Um, I'll just note that these are these are these are sort of like worst case scenarios. Uh, these are really uh, for 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 flagrant violations of the law versus you're just a average organization and uh, who didn't didn't know better. These are for flagrant violations of the law and and for for companies that. Um, You'll see these these issues more often in industries and companies where there is an enforcement priority. So the gig economy is a huge area of enforcement priority for the state of California. Um, they're tar targeting app-based uh, organizations and, and companies, uh, not not your uh, not your everyday like your average nonprofit, your average small organization is not really a target of any of these things. If they become a target, it, it, these things then become a, 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 become a concern. Um, I mean, the, the penalties are a concern if you are, uh, it, they become a concern as well if you, uh, if you have someone who makes a claim, uh, the penalties can be, can come into play, for example. Um, but uh, you don't see that 
generally speaking, unless there's an enforcement priority, you're not going to see you're not going to see these um, sorts of uh, uh, concerns. Um, individual liability issues. The labor code provides for individual liability for officers, directors, and owners of organizations that uh, that fail to fail to pay and are are unable to pay their employees. Uh, it's just one one of the concerns that exists as well. Let's see. And these are just examples of class action settlements. Um, I'm sure you have seen these in the, these types of things in the news. They can be hundreds of thousands or, or millions of dollars um, where there is a misclassification. As I mentioned earlier, uh, when you're converting someone to an employee, you're going to want to think about how you're messaging that um, because there may be questions about, about liability uh, for being classified as a contractor. Uh, so whether you're going to offer them something in order to to do away with your liability when you convert them. And uh, you may want to consider ways that you can still be flexible if you are implementing uh, a change to uh, uh, employment relationships, um, such as part-time schedules and telecommuting, which we're all getting used to anyway. I, uh, a lot of companies are having to grapple with, with how to implement telecommuting uh, as a policy, and, and those are things that you'll want to consider now more than ever as well. So uh, some of the things that you, if your work can be done remotely, um, one thing that you might consider is the use of contractors outside of the state of California. Um, if, if, that, if that is feasible for you, you might consider that as an option. Um, if you are not able to comply with AB5, um, you might consider it uh, temporarily until there are fixes, which which uh, which would reduce your exposure, um, uh, such as an exception specifically for your type of organization. And this is just a summary of the steps that I've gone over. Um, you'll want to first apply the ABC test. See if you can if you can satisfy it for the folks that you do have classified as contractors. Second, you're going to want to analyze the costs of conversion. That includes that includes everything that I talked about in terms of of uh, of extraneous benefits, uh, but also includes the includes um, uh, back pay, for example. Uh, the penalties of not converting, you'll want to weigh the cost of converting folks for, versus the cost of uh, the versus the potential penalties, um, and then how you're going to implement it practically. Uh, so how you're going to message it, whether you're going to implement back pay. And then lastly, um, how uh, if you can't uh, if you can't actually satisfy the ABC test, uh, if you might be able to use workers outside of California, for example, uh, until there is some more certainty for you uh, under AB5. So and I've been I've been collecting questions for you, Michael. Is this a good time? Yeah. So that that that's the that's all of my presentation. So I'm I'm happy to uh, field some questions. So uh, the first question that came up was. What if a business is a college counseling and the gig worker does English tutoring? Now, I know there was a tutoring ex exception, but does the tutor have to go through a third party or can it be a tutor going through the college itself? So, so I talked about tutoring in the context of a referral agency. Uh, so uh, it, it, there is no aside from the referral agency, there is no specific exception for uh, tutors. And so unless that exception applies, 
then as with any of the exceptions that I've discussed, that means that you would need to apply the, the ABC test. And given that you are a college, uh, chances are that a tutor is not performing services outside the usual course of what it is that you do, um, that, they may, that they would not satisfy uh, prong B of the ABC test and therefore not be, qualify as a contractor. Next question, music producers uh, who do not work for label but contract separately with artists, are they exempt? What, what is the definition of fine artist? And I know that um, I've been following this myself because I worked for many years in the arts and I know that a lot of lobbying groups lobbied to have an exception in for artists and they put in this exception fine artists but they didn't make it clear. Is this still being discussed as to clarifying what fine artists mean? Yes, so, so the music industry, um, in addition to other uh, entertainment industry groups, uh, did lobby for an exception. Um, given the existence of, uh, given the existence of, of various uh, groups, uh, uh, there were unions, for example. Uh, there, there were a lot of groups that were were uh, opposed to very broad exemptions or exceptions for. Uh, for folks in the music industry. And so no specific exception made it into the bill for that group. It still may, may ha it still may happen. Um, it's still, still out there, still being discussed. Uh, instead, what we got is a very, very uh, watered down exception, a uh, very narrow, ex well, I don't know that it's narrow. We got the fine artist exception. Um, and some folks read it very narrowly, um, but it's not defined in the statute. And so until we get further clarification, it's, it's up to interpretation, uh, but everyone should know that because of that and, and because of the fluid situation in the legislator, that any interpretation we give may change in six months. I know uh, there are operas and theater companies that canceled productions because of AB5. They're talking about going under because of AB5. Has any of that been addressed uh, uh, by legislators? It, it has not been addressed yet, um, and the and and the legislator has been on a on on a, on a spring uh, recess, uh, so I, I haven't seen any any new developments come in. Um, but I I anticipate that uh, that those those things are going to be addressed, um, and uh, it's just a matter of exactly what the the language will be and 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 when. Well, so this kind of feeds into some other questions. I'm going to go a little bit out of order here, but. Um, uh, somebody wrote the law is problematic for churches to hire musicians for various services a few times a year, uh, or even if they're just coming in one time, maybe you have uh, an outside cantor or an outside um, special guest musician. Um, has that been addressed at all? Um, so I, I guess I would uh, query on that, whether folks who are, who are, so, so you, so you don't need an exception. So let me just say, you don't need an exception if you're able to satisfy the the other the the ABC test. So so if they if they're performing work that is not part of what it is that you do, you're and and it's still an open question what that means. But what is the main thing that you do? Uh, so is a church mainly providing musical service? They don't think so. Um, now you just need to look at the other factors to see if you satisfy those. The, the A and the C prong. And if you do, then you don't need an exception. 
Somebody wrote, um, my understanding is that they're using the Department of Labor's definition of fine arts. Is that true or has that changed? So I've heard that and I've read that interpretation as well. Um, it's a reasonable interpretation, uh, but there it's not a, it's not adopted by the legislator and it's not uh, been ruled on by any court. So there's nothing that says that that is in fact the there is there is no authority that says that that is the definition. It's just a, one reasonable interpretation of the meaning. Has this uh, has this law affected volunteers in any way for churches or nonprofits such as board members or committees that are maybe accepted? Um, so this law doesn't affect volunteer status. So uh, traditionally under under state and federal law, um, a volunteer is someone who is is providing their services without expectation of payment, um, and it's for uh, it's for a charitable uh, or non uh, for a charitable nonprofit or it's for a religious organization. Uh, so if they qualify as a, a true volunteer, that is, they don't expect they don't expect uh, payment. And it's for some some charitable humanitarian cause or religious reason. Uh, that test is still the same. Uh, so you you could still be a volunteer. It's not affected by AB five at all. Um, so a lot of organizations hire speakers, so especially religious organizations. May have religious speakers come through and speak at meetings. But the same with organizations. I speak at a lot of meetings. Are one-time events with uh, speakers coming in, say authors. Um, does that fit with AB five? Um, again, I think that this is a this is a something that could potentially fit within AB the ABC test uh, uh, as codified by AB five. Uh, so again, it just depends on whether they whether if you are an organization that solely uh, connects speakers to uh, to uh, to events, so you provide speaking, you provide some sort of uh, speaker service, uh, then maybe you would have a problem satisfying the ABC test. But otherwise, uh, I don't see that as as a problem. Okay, I'm going to combine two questions. This is the last questions I have. So if you have any more questions, please put them in the uh, uh, chat box. Um, are we required to pay contractors by the hour? If a contractor is not paid by the hour, but by the gig, does it meet and meets all the other exceptions? Uh, is the payer in the clear? In other words, if you're hiring, say, a um, uh, a licensed counselor to come in, which is falls under the exceptions, could they be paid by the job rather than by the hour? Uh, yeah. So, so the method of payment is not necessarily. Um, that that's not a concern so there could be you could be paid hourly versus by versus by the job um that is that is really um so once uh, so, so let me taking a step back so so once it's determined that someone meets the the, the uh, meets an exception um then you're going to look at the brella test and that's one of the factors under the brella test uh which is whether someone's paid hourly or or by the job uh and so uh so if you have if you're paying someone hourly that would weigh in favor of that could weigh in favor of finding that they are um an employee versus a contractor um but that not but it's not necessarily the case so it's just one one factor that is considered if you meet an exception great so this is the last question for you have you seen mental health therapists 
and that would be, I know there's an exception for doctors but and licensed professionals, but what if they're not a licensed therapist? Um, would they still qualify for an exception if the therapist serves patients in a trauma treatment center, for example, and does not have their expertise on staff? Um, so, so I don't know that they necessarily qualify for an exception. So if they're not, they're not one of the, the designated healthcare providers that are covered by the exception, then that they, again, you would just go to the regular ABC test. And, uh, if this, if the work they're performing is outside the scope of what you normally do, which it sounds like since they don't have the expertise on staff, um, then, then, uh, that, that should be that should be uh, fine. That should not be a problem. But if they're a licensed therapist, then they're exempt anyway, correct? Because isn't that one of the exemptions was for licensed professionals in healthcare? Uh, so the, the healthcare exception is a, a specifically delineated group of folks. And I don't believe a therapist was in that group. Uh, so there's, oh, really? there's, uh, I, I I would have to look at the professional services exception statute, the the language of that exception to to verify. But the group includes doctors, dentists, veterinarians. It's a very limited group of healthcare providers. Not every person who is a healthcare provider. So just for a little more clarification, if if uh, two organizations say share somebody for therapy, or three organizations, and they've been a contractor, could they work together to hire them? Um, where maybe they divide up their time, but they hire them under one agency and, and several agencies contribute to the salary. Uh, certainly, uh, there's nothing there's nothing prohibiting a joint employment type uh, relationship uh, that would certainly be permissible. Okay, I've got two quick questions that kind of uh, got under the wire here. Uh, if, if you have a contractor sign that they qualify for an exemption and you know that they're not truthful, then what are the consequences? Uh, if you have a contractor sign that they, uh, that a contractor they, says that they, they qualify as a contractor, but they don't. And you know, that are there consequences for you? Well, well, so, so the representations, uh, I was recommending that if you are going to have to avail yourself of a particular exception that you include representations and warranties to ensure that if they don't or no longer qualify, that, that they, that, that they are agreeing that, that. It is. It is that any anything that flows from that is going to be on the contractor. Any any consequence of that is going to be on the contractor. But if you are if you know going into the contracting relationship that someone doesn't satisfy those criteria, um, it doesn't help you to include it as a representation because you already know that they don't, uh, and therefore you you, you are you would be improperly classifying them as a contractor. Um, it, um, by by having them represent that they satisfy criteria, you know they don't. So I, I have the last question that I, I think we've maybe uh, answered a little bit, but um, um, you know it gets back to this issue of fine artists. So if you have a dance company, a theater company, etc., they can't afford to hire their people full time. They know it doesn't qualify with the ABC test, but they just don't have the wherewithal to hire people. Um, do they have any kind of recourse or do they just have to wait to find out what the what what they clarify in terms of what a fine artist is for the exemptions? Yeah, so I mean, it's part, partially just a part of your organization's own uh, your own uh, 
risk and your own uh, uh, tolerance and your own ability to your your own determination about what you want to do, um, because uh, some folks have evolved themselves of the finest fine artist exception saying, well, you know, that, that it could be interpreted broadly, um, while others um, others have just said, well, I'm going to not do anything and I'm going to hold off and wait and, because I, I'm hoping for an exception. I'm hoping for something else to change in the law. Um, so, so it's really uh, up to the individual and their counsel whether they think that they can try to make an argument that they can use that exception. I think the one thing that works um, in the favor of small organizations is that no lawyer is going to want to take the case because they don't have enough money to sue them. Whereas if you were like the LA opera and you're making $3 million a year, $5 million a year, then you, you're much more suable. Right. And, and, and I just, again, like, unless you have, um, you typically don't, don't, not that you don't see it with smaller organizations, because I've seen it. Um, I've seen claims um, and they can be a big problem, um, which is why it's important to actually do this analysis. Um, but, but unless you're like, you have people that are a problem or you have, you have, um, you are in an industry that is a target of these sorts of of enforcement actions, um, you you're you're much less likely to to this to ever be a problem for you. Um, it could be an, the, it could be a problem with your insurance, though, right? I mean, your insurance may not want to insure you if you're going to be a target of lawsuits. Yeah, not, uh, well, that yes. <laughs> I'm going to turn it back over to Sarah, and before I do, everybody is muted, but they're wi wildly applauding right now, Michael. <laughs> and they're yelling and screaming but, you know they're muted so you can't hear them but thank yeah. you so much for your presentation today yeah. thank you for listening to 501c3bs deprogramming for organizational growth I'm your host, Zoo Velasco. 501c3BS is sponsored by the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton and the Mahalo School of Business. Gianneschi is spelled G-I-A-N-N-E-S-C-H-I. That's G-I-A-N-N-E-S-C-H-I. Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton and the Mahalo School of Business. Check out my Twitter feed at 501c3bs, my webpage at zootvelasco.com, and my book, The First Hundred Days, on Amazon. The music is provided to us from our good friends at the traditional Brazilian choro group, Grupo Falso Baiano and Amy Molinelli. Find them at grupofalsobaiano.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great day free from BS.